This comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The word of our Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. We are, uh, I guess, five weeks deep into a series through the book of Philippians now. And uh, uh, just looking at six verses today, really probably only four verses that we're actually really going to dig into. And there's just so much here to mine out. Um, I, like many of you, have been uh, praying through, seeking how to engage responsibly in this election season. Is that, do you like how I put that? Um, and it's not easy, right? It's not easy. There's, it's, uh, it's tricky. Um, there's the whole conscience, the conscious piece, and uh, there's the whole conviction piece and all of that kind of stuff. And as I've been thinking through this, I came across a... Uh, uh, some research uh, that that the Pew Research Group did, and they they kind of alluded to this research that they had done a couple years ago, where they said basically that um, that the United States uh, is becoming less and less driven and guided by religious convictions, and and as you as you read that and you think about that, um, I, here's here's what was refreshing to me. Uh, I don't think that our country is becoming less Christian. I think we're becoming more honest. I think we're becoming more honest with what is true, what is real uh, in the hearts of people that live in this country. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, to think uh, about this uh, in a very redemptive way, that that Jesus is King uh, and that He will be on His throne regardless of uh, who's in the White House uh, this season. Uh, What I'm seeing is that the benefits of nominal Christianity... Uh, are fading away, and it's less and less convenient to to take up the life of Jesus than it ever has been. And so, people that that aren't really following Jesus are are, are no longer claiming to follow Jesus, which I think is a, is a really healthy healthy thing. Um, and I'm encouraged because uh, across the contrast of a dark night sky, uh, the light shines brighter. I'm reminded of a time that I had the opportunity to go to Colorado and uh, do some whitewater rafting with some students, and and like. It's, uh, it's no Tennessee whitewater rafting out there. It's no joke in Colorado, okay? And we were out there one night. We were, we'd just come from the shower house, and we're going back to our tent. And I think it was the first night, and I just happened to kind of look up at the sky. And it was like I saw more stars in the sky than I thought existed. It was amazing how clear you could see the light when the, when the, when the sky wasn't manipulated with the, with, with the artificial light of the city. It was amazing to see that. And I think that's where what we're seeing uh, happen in our country. I think that's what we're seeing happen uh, in our city. Um, 
And, and Paul addresses this today in Philippians chapter 2. He, his, his, his prayer for this church is that they would shine, uh, they, they would shine bright like light. Uh, like, like, like a bright light in a dark sky that they would shine. And that's, that's kind of what Paul's prayer is for these Philippian Christians. And I'm reminded that the purity of the Gospel light that your life shines forth in the world is really reg- relegated rather uh, to the intensity that the light burns from within us. So, so how bright does the light of Jesus shine in our hearts? Because the big idea of where we're going today is this, that the Gospel must change us before we can change the world. I've never met a Christian that that doesn't say, hey man, I really want to see God change the world. We all want to see that. It's our deep longing. Sometimes the best way that we can participate in the redemption of the world is to let Jesus change us. And that's where we're headed uh, today in the sermon. So my hope for us today is this is that you'll be deeply encouraged to press on in the faith. I think you're probably seeing a theme in the songs we're singing. You never let go of me. I mean, we've been looking at this kind of theme that God is with us, that He presses on through us. And I pray that you'll be more confident of God's presence within you today after hearing the sermon and after applying God's Word to your heart. So uh, kind of a few points we're going to be looking at. I just want to tell you where we're going uh, before we go there, so maybe it'll help you follow along. Uh, the first thing we're, we're looking at is that Jesus' obedience is the foundation of my obedience. Uh, the second thing is this, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit by taking responsibility of our own maturity. And thirdly, God shines the Gospel into the world through our lives. So let's dig in together. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, looking at verse 12 here, and we're actually just looking at the first part of verse 12 here. Therefore, okay, that's it. Therefore, anytime you read therefore in the Bible, you got to stop because it's there for a reason, right? So what's happened just before this in Philippians chapter 2? Well, there's been this beautiful display and explanation of the work of Christ on our behalf and what, what the cost of His obedience was, that it cost Him death, and what the benefit of obedience was is that His crown will never be taken away, that He's King forever. So therefore, since Christ out of His boundless voluntary obedience gave us an example, therefore, the reward He receives because of His obedience is now our reward when we place our faith in Him. Therefore, He gives strength from heaven so that we can obey uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. It's there for a reason. So uh, Paul says this in Philippians 2, he goes on to say this, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my uh, presence, but also much more in my absence. So, uh, you know, the the Philippians are just like, uh, you know, my kids. Uh, Your kids tend to obey better when mom and dad are around, right? They do. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be on my best behavior. Okay, the mom and dad go into the other room, all chaos breaks loose, right? I mean, it sounds like a bomb went off in your house. Well, this is what he's talking about here. He says, hey guys, listen, I know you like to obey when when Paul's in town, but what would it look like for you to obey even much more when I'm absent? What would that look like for you to obey? And this obedience that he's talking about here uh, flows from the obedience of Jesus. Like the, 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 the work of Jesus is what empowers, is what gives foundation to our obedience. I, I like to think of it like this. Um, 
Uh, anybody just like really love to swing on a swing set? Like anytime you see a swing set, like you're tempted to jump up on it. Like whether you're an adult or a kid, right? Yeah, there's a few of you in here. That's good. Um, you know, my kids, my kids love to swing as well. Um, but my, my almost seven-year-old has finally gotten to the place where she can power herself on the swing, has learned the technique of momentum and how to keep that going and stuff like that. My other three kids like to swing as well. The only problem is they don't know how to swing themselves, right? So they like to be pushed over and over and over. And if I'm honest, dad gets a little tired of pushing my kids sometimes. Can anybody, you get an amen from anybody? Yeah, you're kind of like, yeah, I've been pushing you for, for five minutes and my arms are kind of giving out now. Well, think about your obedience in Christ the same way we think about swinging, okay? Um, we, we, what we want to do, what our hope is, is for our kids to learn how to swing and be able to swing themselves to learn the rocking motion, the momentum, the pushing, and the pulling on the swing to be able to guide themselves. I think a lot of times we expect the same thing in the Christian life. We expect to wean ourselves off of the push of obedience from Jesus into our own obedience. But here, here's the beautiful thing about Christ is that we were never meant to start swinging ourselves in Jesus. We're to constantly rely on the obedience of Jesus propelling us forward in life to our own obedience. You see what I'm saying there? It's a good thing. Dependence in Jesus is a beautiful, good thing. We're always to come back and look at Jesus as we walk forward in Jesus. The moment that we try to go off and do our own thing is the moment that we get in trouble because we're starting to build another kingdom when we forget who King Jesus is. So, so let, the, let the obedience of Jesus push us into obedience. And to do that, we've got to remember that therefore, we've got to look back before we walk forward. And that's a constant process for us, church. It's to always look back at what Jesus has done. To let His delight, uh, to let His love wash over you as you walk in obedience. And Paul's reminding the Philippians to do that. So that's the, that's the first thing we got to talk about right there is that the, the obedience of Jesus is the foundation for our obedience. Second thing is this. This is some tricky language here. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit by taking responsibility of our own maturity. So let me read this verse to you. It's kind of an interesting verse and it can kind of lead you astray if you don't interpret it uh, appropriately. It can, it can lead you into misunderstanding what, what God is meaning by this. So let me read it. Um, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And then there's a break. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Okay, so you're, Ryan, you just told me to look back at what Jesus has done so that I can walk forward in Jesus. Well, then Paul tells us to work out our own salvation. Let me tell you what that verse means. It does not mean to be isolated from Jesus and to go on and try to work for your salvation. There's a difference in words that to work out your salvation or work for your salvation. The Scriptures are calling us to realize the fact that salvation has been embedded in our hearts when we come to faith in Jesus. Salvation is a... Notice the, the, uh, the, the possessive nature of the word. Work out your own salvation. It could, it could even be better interpreted like this. With reverence, work your salvation. Work your salvation. So salvation is something we've got inside of us. What's it look like to work it out? It's kind of the same way like I used to have six abs that you could define. They're still there, but I've had a few too many five guys lately. You know what I'm saying? 
So you, so you can't see them anymore. They're there. They might appear again one day, but they, they're not showing up right now. In the same way, salvation is something that we have. If we're in Christ, if we've confessed our sin, if we've repented and trusted in Christ, we have salvation. We don't have to go get it. It's within us. What needs to grow is our awareness of the good gift of salvation that God has given us. And we have a responsibility to, to flex that muscle of salvation that God has put into us. We have to cooperate in this whole process of maturity. Um, I, do you, does anybody remember uh, kind of the, the craze of cereal box marketing by athletes? Anybody remember that? I don't know if they still do that or not. I remember this particular picture right here uh, very vividly. This is Michael Jordan, I don't know, maybe 91 or something like that. Uh, as a kid, I remember, um, I remember, <laughs> I remember passing down the, 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 the aisle, the cereal aisle, and it's a the cereal aisle is a dangerous place, right? I mean, you're, you're walking down there, you're seeing all this great marketing, and you're, you're thinking, man, that, can, I, can I get mom to think that this is healthy um, as you're walking down uh, the aisle? But I remember passing this box and thinking, you know what? I just want to rule out, I just want to rule out all the possibilities that, that maybe there's a shortcut to getting good at basketball. Maybe I, I, I just want to rule it out, mommy. Maybe I can get those mad hops like Jordan had just by eating some Wheaties. See, what the, what the Wheaties box doesn't tell us is that Jordan had ridiculous discipline and an innate ability that God gave him. Now, he had to work out that ability. I mean, he, it wasn't like he just showed up at the gym and could hop from the free throw line and dunk it. I mean, he had to work that out. He had to, he had to be disciplined to be as skilled as he was and probably still even is in basketball. He had to work that out. So, so here's, the, here's the thing I want you to remember about salvation, okay? We live in this, this tension of the already and the not yet. Okay, we already is, uh, salvation is already a gift of ours. Through faith in Christ, we have received salvation. But salvation is already a night, it's already and then it's also not yet. We're not finished. We're not finished. The temptation for us is in the middle of that tension and that gap is to work, uh, to work for our own glory and to work out of our own power. But you remember what Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So God has, has, has called us in a beautiful way to participate in working out, or working our salvation that He's given us. He's called us to participate in that. And notice what Philippians 2, uh, the last part of verse 13 says, for, for it is God who works in you, to will and to work for His good pleasure. So it's God that's actually working in your heart as you work your salvation. And He's working for His own glory in your heart as you're wrestling with sin and you're, you're frustrated with your progress in the Gospel. What do you do? Let me ask you this. What do you do whenever you get to the place where you're frustrated with your progress in the Gospel? I've rarely met someone that says, hey, you know what? I'm so, I'm so content in where I am with Jesus and I don't really see any places where I need to grow. I mean, we all know where we need to grow in the Gospel. And it's a frustrating experience, isn't it? It's part of what God has called us to. Now here's the thing that I want you to remember about the process of salvation. The big theological word for this is sanctification. The thing that I want you to remember is that it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. God never intended for your salvation 
to be worked out overnight. This is why it says work your salvation. Work. Uh, do, do the hard work of, of working your salvation. We've got to remember that God finishes what He starts. That it's Him that's working inside of us. But it's our responsibility to work that muscle of salvation. Think about Romans chapter 7. Paul was frustrated with the process of salvation. He was, he was, he was frustrated. This is why I wrote Romans 7. Uh, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, verses 18 and 19. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Some of you are thinking, yep, I experienced that this morning. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Isn't this the story of our lives? This is the story of our lives. We want to do good. We have good intentions. But we, we have not the ability to do it apart from Jesus. And then sometimes we'll like backslide, right? We'll walk in Jesus. We'll, we'll have something kind of licked. We'll be, we'll be walking in victory over sin. And then we kind of backslide back into it again. And we think, man, did I lose my salvation? Well, God gives the gift of salvation and we continue to work that muscle of salvation. And, and, and one, of the, one of the marks of true believers is perseverance, right? The Holy Spirit perseveres within us as Jesus carries us on to completion. We continue to work that muscle of salvation. Now, here's the thing you got to remember about this process of salvation, okay? Um, we're in process, but it's different than any other process in the world. The difference is we are securely in process. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, do you remember the words that He said, some of His last words on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. Salvation has been won. He will rise from the dead. He will defeat sin and death. And by faith, we do the same thing even though we wrestle with the flesh, with the world, with the devil on a day-by-day basis. We are working our salvation securely. We're not, we're not doubting whether, whether, whether God is with us or not. He is holding on to us through every circumstance that we endure, that we encounter. He is with us. So what does it look like to work our salvation? I want you to think about the picture of a farmer. Okay, a farmer has land, right? Just because a farmer has land does not mean a farmer has crops. Everybody tracking with me? He has land, that's great. He has this beautiful 40-acre plot of land that he could grow crops on. Just because he has land does not mean that he has crops. So what's, what's, what's going on into the process of, of producing a harvest? The Bible talks a lot about, uses these farming analogies and metaphors kind of all the time. Well, the first thing is this, is he has to prepare the soil. Okay, so uh, before he plants the seed, he has to prepare the soil. So this involves cultivating the soil, you know, plowing it up, uh, also removing things out of the soil, foreign objects that would impede growth. So let's kind of transition back to what that means for us to grow in Christ. Well, we've got to remove the rocks out of the soil so that the, the, the good seed of the gospel can take root in our hearts. The scripture would call this repentance. Repentance. How do you work your salvation? Will you repent? So, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the best thing that we, can, that we can learn how to do and the best thing that we can show others to do is how to repent of sin well. Um, and so, 
You know, sometimes we'll kind of generically repent of sin. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, like I know I kind of messed up, God. What would it look like for us to kind of explicitly confess sin to God? Hey God, I did this. I need the blood of Your Son, Jesus, to forgive me, to wash over me because I am a dirty, rotten sinner, as Paul says. But I'm a deeply loved son. And, and sometimes, if I'm honest, I remember the dirty, rotten sinner piece a little more than I remember the, the deeply loved son piece. And I need you to remind me that I'm a deeply loved son because I, I feel like a dirty, rotten sinner. And I know that your blood covers me and that it washes over you. And you invite me into fellowship with you. What's it look like for us to not let sin linger in our hearts? That's the first step in working our salvation. Are you letting sin linger in your heart? Are you harboring sin in your heart and you've not confessed it to God or to others? The book of James says, confess your sin to one another so that you may be healed. There's something, there's a, there's a communal aspect in confessing sin. Do you, have, do you have people in your life where you can fight the good fight of the faith with? So the first thing we got to do is you got to prepare the soils what the farmer has to do. Then he has to plant the seed. He has to get the gospel, the good seed of the gospel in the soil of his heart. This is what it looks like to, to work your salvation. And one of the things you notice about a, a farmer doesn't just plant seeds kind of um, unintentionally all over the place, but he, but he plants them in rows. He plants them in sequence so that the root structure can be stronger because it's shared and it's together. Are you planted in community as you work out the Gospel? Or are you a, a lone ranger? You work your salvation together. This, this book, this book of Philippians, this letter was written to a church, not a man named Philippi. It was written to a whole body of believers in the Roman province, the Roman colony of Philippi. Are you planted in community? Do you have people where you're, where you're able to work, at, work your salvation together? And lastly, then he has to nurture. He has to nurture the seed. You plant the seed. The farmer can do everything right and still his growth is not what he expects it to be. Bob Coughlin says it like this, you cannot be Spirit-led unless you're Word-fed. You can't be Spirit-led unless you're Word-fed. So we, we pay constant attention to our progress in the Gospel. And even though sometimes the result isn't what we want it to be, we're reminded about uh, what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. The, the, the context of this verse is that people are kind of arguing about whose disciple they are. Hey, I'm Apollos' disciple. No, I'm Paul's disciple. And Paul just writes this to him. Hey, look. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. Friends, any gospel gains that we have in our lives are because God has gifted them to us. We can do everything. Uh, we can work our salvation as best as we possibly know how. And sometimes our growth still doesn't meet the expectations that we want it to meet. And it's because it's God that grants us the growth. And sometimes when our growth is a little slower than we want it to be, it's because God is working something deeper than what we can see. And so the farmer, coming back to the farmer, whenever he's in a season of, uh, uh, you know, he's, all the conditions are ripe for growth but he still doesn't experience growth, what does the farmer have to do? He has to wait. He has to trust. He has to be patient. He can't make that stuff grow. 
It's not like he goes to you know, the tractor supply and cleans off all the, the, the shelves and puts some miracle grow down. I mean, no, no, he has to wait. I mean, he does everything that he knows to do, but he still has to wait. And we wait. We wait as those with hope, though, because we know that God's going to carry us to completion. We just don't know how he's going to do it. So we participate, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our growth in the gospel. And lastly, God shines the gospel into the world through our lives. Let me read Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing, could be translated arguing, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Friends, working your salvation is difficult work. It's a long work. It's a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson once famously put it. It's a long obedience in the same direction. What's it look like to view your salvation in Christ like it? Like I've already got it, but I'm not there, but I just continue to walk with Jesus day by day. So, so what's it look like to work this? What, what are some things that can get in the way? Paul says, hey, look, you guys got some grumbling going on. You know, you're, you're frustrated. You know, you're, you're kind of talking amongst yourself and those things aren't glorifying God. So he kind of nails this first and foremost in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or arguing. arguing. Um, so why do I, I asked myself this question as I was thinking about this. Why do I grumble and complain? What's going on underneath when I grumble and complain? I think we all go through different seasons where maybe we complain a little bit more. And maybe we don't tell other people about it, but we're kind of complaining on the inside. You know what I mean? So why do we do that? I think for me, the thing that I've discovered is that it happens most when my expectations are not met. It happens most when my expectations of other people and myself are not met. And I complain and I grumble because I want to be sanctified a different way. I want God to give me a different life than the one He's given me. And so I complain. What would it look like to, for us as a community to press in deeper to where Jesus has us and look beyond the circumstance? Elizabeth Elliot, who was a missionary, her husband Jim was martyred. Um, I think it was in Ecuador. She says this in one of her writings. The secret, and in parentheses to joy, I added that, is Christ in me. Not Christ in a different set of circumstances. We could, preach that self, we could preach that to ourselves every single day. We need to come back to Christ in us. Not Christ in us in a different set of circumstances. Because those circumstances aren't going to change anything about your joy. Nothing at all. Because joy doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. So, we, we, we only can live this Philippians 2.14 life. This, this, this life of not grumbling and complaining with the Jesus of Philippians 2.1-11 alive inside of us. That's the only way that we can walk this thing out. What would it look like for us to, to look at one another and understand Romans 7? That, that, whole, that whole, like, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. What would it look like for us to see every person that we encounter understanding that about them, whether they're in Christ or not? That they... What would it look like for us to be patient with people? Instead of having such high expectations 
uh, that we, we find ourselves grumbling and complaining? What would it look like for us to, to think about the fact that everyone's in process? Some people are maybe in process of working their salvation. Other people may be in process of maybe finding out what in the world they're here for. Maybe they're not a Christian yet. What would it look like for us to have that posture with everybody that you work with? With everybody in your family, the holidays are coming up. I know that's not easy for some of us, right? Um, what would it look like to look at people and to just understand with empathy that, man, that we're all in process and none of us are where we want to be. But Jesus has taken us to where we should be. It just might take a little longer than we thought it would. What would that look like? John Newton, who wrote uh, the hymn Amazing Grace, once explained complaining as a Christian like this. He, he shared this story. He said this, Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate. It was already his. He owned it. And his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way, the other mile. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Friends, our redemption in Christ is ours and it's only a mile away. Like our full redemption where we see Jesus face to face. Sin is eradicated and we shine as Moses did when he came off the mount because we are so near to Jesus and His glory is all over us. Friends, we're only a mile away. What's it look like to hold out Jesus for that last mile for us? I want to read one, one passage to you and then we're going to close this up here. 2 Corinthians 4.6 For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He takes us back to creation right there, doesn't He? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Who, who made light out of, out of nothing. Who created light. He made light out of darkness. This is the God that we're praying to. The God that we're serving. The God that's rescued us. This is His power. What has He done? He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has poured out His heart inside of us. And we're kind of glowing in the dark when Jesus is alive in us. I mean, He's alive in us and He pours out through us. This is what Paul, this is what his prayer is for the church at Philippi, that as they work their salvation, as they struggle with the things that everybody in the world struggles with, they would struggle with this hope, this light that's burning within them. I don't know if you guys have ever seen you know, shows or, or read books where they would talk about this concept of a lamplighter. So the, the concept is this, is that before electricity, cities would have these oil lamps that looks something like that. And there would be a, a, a person uh, that would go around every night and they would light the lamps. They'd have to have this huge kind of candle thing and, and go and, and light it. And, uh, and one man described it like this. It's like they were punching holes in the darkness. Church, I don't need, I, you don't need to, me to, to, to convince you that the world is dark, that it's full of sin, that your, that your heart apart from Christ is full of sin and dark as well. But what would it look like for us to focus more on punching holes in the darkness as we work our salvation? I think that's what God's called us to. I think that's what He's invited us to. And I think it's a beautiful thing for us to strive for 
and to do together because He's not finished with us. Though, though we've already experienced this salvation, we have not yet been completed. And let us work this salvation in a beautiful way together. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we want to punch holes in the darkness, God. We want to walk in freedom. We want to experience the pleasure of knowing You. We want to experience the delight that Your Word says You have in us. But although all we can think about sometimes is the fact that we do the things that we hate and we don't do the things that we love. You've given us the power of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee living inside of our hearts to work our salvation. Father, let us flex the muscle of Your grace that's alive in us. Let that light burn brighter than it ever has. And the brightness of the light is not an, it's not an absence of the presence of sin in our hearts. The, the brightness of the light burns when we turn to Jesus quicker and we lay our lives down. In fact, I would say the light is probably burning brighter, Father, whenever we're confessing more sin. Let us run to You as a son and as a daughter that can't wait to see their dad. Give us that picture of You. We don't want to run. We don't want to hide. We want to be in the light as You are in the light. God, give us grace as we work this salvation uh, together as a family. And I pray that those in the room today that are discouraged would be encouraged not because of their progress or lack of progress in the Gospel, but because of the, the relentless love of their God that never lets go. So Father, that's our prayer today. I pray that You'd press it deep into us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.